Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place because this is where the best run. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from a young man named Jose Costa. Here's the quote. Women are starting to gain ground as consumers and workers in a traditionally male-dominated industry, and brands should be taking note. What industry are we talking about? automotive. So how did women get in the quote-unquote driver's seat of the automotive industry? We're not talking about driving Miss Daisy anymore. Let me give you a little background here. In 2014, which was not that long ago, Mary Barra broke the automotive industry's boys club gender barrier. I don't know what kind of a ceiling it was, maybe made out of spare parts, when she became GM's first ever female CEO and chair person. And that was 34 years after she started as an intern at GM. What a career path. What's happening today? Women are driving automotive in so many ways, including car purchase decisions. The author Jose Costa notes, quote, contrary to popular belief, women have dominated car buying decisions for quite some time. Some figures show that they lead at least 80%, that's right, I said 80% of all vehicle purchases, including having veto power, aha, over their partner's choice of a vehicle. Okay, so we have invited back three powerful women in the automotive industry, and they're going to talk about their playbooks uh, in general on managing smarter in your career, especially in male-dominated industries, how to up your game, how to address gender disparity in this industry and any other, but we're also going to be talking about automotive. So we don't want this to just be for a female audience. Everybody listen up. This is a great topic. I'm delighted to have back three, as I said, three powerhouses. Let me tell you who they are. Pamela Niekamp, Vice President of Client Solutions at Nielsen. Meg DeVito, Principal at DeVito Design Group. And rounding out the panel, Ellen Sassone, Automotive Industry Advisor at SAP. Ladies, thank you so much for coming back for part two. And we started this particular topic. Uh, We called it Women Take the Wheel, Transforming the Automotive Ecosystem back in March on our other series called The Future of Cars with Game Changers. How appropriate. So let's start off with the opening quote sent to me by Pamela Niekamp, and she sent a quote from Chelsea Handler. Pamela, this is the first time we've had a Chelsea Handler quote. We get Amy Poehler, we get Tina Fey, we get Ellen DeGeneres, but never Chelsea. Chelsea Joy Handler, young woman born in 1975, that's young to me, American comedian, actress, writer, TV host, producer. She hosted the late night talk show Chelsea Lately on the E! Network. And interestingly enough, in 2010, she was ranked on the Forbes Celebrity 100 at number 98. And two years later in 2012, Time named her one of the 100 most influential people in the world on their Time 100 list. I'll stop there. Here's the quote. I think the most important thing and the key ingredient for a woman is to act like you belong there and believe that you belong there. Pamela Niekamp, welcome back. How are you? Oh, thank you so much, Bonnie, for having me. I'm well, thank you. And uh, I'm uh, thrilled to be joining um, the other ladies on the call as well, Ellen and Meg, uh, because this is just uh, a topic near near and dear to, to my heart and very close to uh, my work situation as well, given that I've been in the automotive industry for over 30 years now. 
So, oh my! Um, and so you, your career path may not be exactly Mary Barris, but she's been in starting as an intern at GM, as I mentioned, for thirty-four years. So you're you're in that same, uh, shall we say, that same demographic. Let me just keep that a loose term. So Pamela, let's start with the quote from Chelsea Handler. I love the quote, and it sounds like what do they say? Fake it till you make it, something like that. So tell me how this quote relates to our topic about women in automotive, or in general. Yeah, uh, thank you. I, I like it too, and you know, it, it is from a kind of an unexpected uh, source, um, but I, I think it's a really powerful message. Uh, you know, for those of us who've been in the industry for years, like myself, uh, and also for um, younger women just um, starting out in their careers, to remember that um, you know, yes, we all have fears, we all um, have insecurities, and at times question our um, abilities or our uh, are we really ready. Uh, for the level of responsibility we're given in certain roles. But I think um, I, had, I had a boss uh, once many years ago at Chrysler who uh, took me to lunch, and he said to me, uh, never apologize for your success. You're where you are for a reason. And it's kind of that whole concept of owning it. Uh, and and that, that alone, that, you know, projecting that confidence that comes with owning it and knowing and feeling you really belong there, I think will go a long way towards helping women to, and, and men, <laughs> frankly, uh, to succeed in, you know, such a competitive um, industry and, and a constantly evolving industry as automotive. Very, very interesting. Uh, I was surprised by the quote from Chelsea Handler because I think of her as somebody who's really a little bit off the beaten path, a little bit off off center in her comedy and her comments. And it's such a grounded statement, isn't it, Pamela? Such a grounded statement. Act like you belong there and believe that you belong there. Uh, I I think it's a wonderful, absolutely wonderful quote. Just tell me quickly before I move on to the other panelists' opening quotes. What's the status of women in the industry today, aside from what I mentioned, helping with car buying decisions, okay, that's not what we really want to talk about. So in terms of having, being part of that workforce, what do you see the status today? How are we doing? Well, I, I think, unfortunately, we're still uh, behind the curve on this one in automotive. And um, I'm referencing a study that I read, uh, tw- it was published you know, a couple of years ago, um, that said that while women make up 47% of the U.S., um, labor force, in fact, in automotive uh, careers and roles, it's, it's almost half of that at 24%. And with a few notable exceptions, like Mary Barra, who we've talked about, um, there mm-hmm. are still far fewer women than, than that at those higher echelons of automotive, real, in really leadership roles. So I think we still have, unfortunately, a, a quite a long way to go um, to, to achieve even you know, close to uh, parity in automotive. Thank you very much, Pamela. It's a pleasure to have you back. And now I'm going to go a little bit around the table to Meg DeVito. Anybody wants to look her up, the name is spelled D-I-V-I-T-T-O. And she has sent us another wonderful quote from Cheryl Sandberg. I, I think Cheryl would very, be very pleased to be represented on this particular show, Meg. And Cheryl Sandberg, in case anybody has literally been sitting under a rock or living under a rock the past few years. Cheryl Cara, K-A-R-A Sandberg, born 1969, also a young woman to me, is an American tech executive, activist, and author. She's the COO, that's Chief Operating Officer of Facebook and the founder of LeanIn.org. Interestingly enough, she became the first woman to serve on Facebook's board when she was elected there in June 2012. Before joining Facebook, she was Vice President of Global Online Sales and Operations at Google. Google. 
very interesting background. She released her first book, Lean In, Women, Work, and the Will to Lead, co-authored by Neil Scavell and published by Knopf in March of 2013. She was named to the Time 100, similar to Chelsea Handler, and she's also on the board of the Walt Disney Company and a a multitude. I can't even keep up with it. She's reported to be worth just over a billion dollars from stock holdings in Facebook and other companies. Good for her. Here's the quote. This is another great one. If you're offered a seat on a rocket ship, don't ask what seat. Just get on. Make DeVito. I can't say that quote with a straight face because I love it so much. Ellen Sassone, pleasure to have you on. And Ellen has sent us another surprising quote from Scott Adams. Anybody scratching their heads? He is the creator of Dilbert, the Dilbert comic strip, and the author of several nonfiction works of satire, commentary, and business. Uh, his series, Dilbert, came to national prominence through the downsized period in 1990s America and was distributed worldwide. Very interesting guy. And here is the quote. My philosophy is that losers have goals and winners have systems. Ellen Sesson, welcome back. How are you? Hi, Bonnie. Nice to be back. Thank you. Talk to me about this quote. And I have to ask, are you a big Dilbert fan? Actually, I'm I'm not. But I am thinking about Scott Adams and just the longevity of his series as a comic. And and I guess my whole philosophy and the systems idea is I, I think you have to really work at at knowing yourself and creating a system that you can keep replicating as opposed to a goal because goals, you achieve them, but then there's more. So a system, I think, is really a way of operating that, that, that you can come back to. What's neat about him, and I think comedy is such a, a timely thing, and, and I think automotive, I think tech, you, you have to keep changing with, with the, the world because it changes all the time. So to be relevant You've got to keep reinventing your humor and your sense of yourself, all that, which I think is embodied in his quote. I think so, too. Do you think that this is a a reflection, if if we apply this to women in automotive, Ellen, do you think this is a reflection? This this flies in the face of what we tell people, don't we? So you have to have goals, you have to have... Strategy, strategies and tactics to get there and you need to have a plan and he's saying losers have goals winners have systems is, is this something that we have to reteach ourselves and women coming up the chain in well whatever chain it is in automotive for example do we have to retrofit the teachings to go along with this quote what do you think I like that idea and I, I, I'd say yes because goals are temporary goals goals I mean it, it's good to have an aim but I, I think it's bigger than that. I think you've got to make yourself into someone that's constantly adapting and changing and growing. And then, truthfully, that's how you're successful in any organization, right? The people that stay put, stay put. And the people that keep growing and changing and experimenting and trying new ideas and new relationships, I feel like those people prosper. And to me, that's a system versus, a, like, a linear goal. I, we all need linear goals. That's how we're measured on KPIs every year. But... But year after year after year, it's more of a system than a goal, is how I, I, I like how you frame that. You do have to challenge a goal. That, that's just a moment in time. 
Thank you. Very, very interesting. I'm surprised you're not even a fan of Dilbert. You picked a great quote that has already helped us a little bit reset here. I, I really appreciate that, Ellen. Thank you. And I hear that Meg is back with us. And Meg, I was laughing because I love this quote so much. I'm going to read it again from Sheryl Sandberg. If you're offered a seat on a rocket ship, don't ask what seat. Just get on. I can't imagine Sheryl Sandberg saying it exactly that way, but that's how it hits me. Meg DeVito, welcome back. Talk to me about the quote. Yes, thank you, Bonnie. Um, live radio, wow. <laughs> um, the quote, I think, <laughs> is just, you know, you can't say anything else but that. The, the quote is, is amazing in a way because, it, you know, women tend to be rule followers and, you know, asking exactly what, how to do something or what the ropes are. And this just says, don't do that. You know, it gives permission to just follow your instinct and take that role, take that job, or say no to that job, like to just go for it and do it. And I think that that really, it it frees us in some way, and I do like the whimsy of it. I do too. Now, now let's see if we can apply this to automotive. Uh, rocket ship makes me think of Tesla. It makes me think of cars with wings. It makes me think of, of self-driving experimentation. And I'm thinking, well, it's not really meaning the rocket ship. So c- can we translate that in your words, Meg? What do you think the rocket ship she means is, is a new industry, a new company, an opportunity to be a woman who is the first one in that seat? As I mentioned, Mary, Mary Barra, uh, and also Sheryl Sandberg the first woman on the board of Facebook. So what do you think the rocket ship is in practical terms for our audience? How can we apply it? I think it it embodies all of those things at exactly the same time. Um, The rocket ship is your next opportunity or your next challenge or something that you didn't think possible. And I think from a society perspective, it kind of represents, you know, for women in this case, per the discussion, it means that, you know, the sky is the limit. And there are so many different things today than when I was coming up through the ranks or going into school and, and, and graduating. Now there's so many more opportunities. The will world is even smaller and there's more access to things on a global basis and there's you know people are starting new companies and it's a startup nation and so I think it means anything from a traditional role like moving up in your career which is you know really a a good thing to continue to focus on and keep contributing or it means just starting something up seeing a new idea putting it into the industry itself in this case automotive and you mentioned like autonomous vehicles and the like we need so much new thinking in this industry to really propel the industry past where you know our grandfather's automotive was or our father's automotive was so this really allows the grounding to be able to say let's take off let's do it Thank you very much. I, I like that. You know, I found the quote very exciting, Meg, because the idea of rocket ship, it could be in the eye of the beholder or the mind of the job applicant, the woman who's looking. I, I've had opportunities along the way in various industries where I knew absolutely nothing, but something was offered to me. And I can almost look back and say, yeah, to me, it was a rocket ship that I might be able to get a seat on that. And I was willing to be on board, even at an early stage or in something that where I needed to really, really, really have a system. Uh, Ellen, I'm talking to you. Have a system rather than a goal and figure out how to make it happen. And that, I think the rocket ship is just a, a euphemism or a metaphor for an exciting opportunity. So I like that very much. Thank you, Meg. Meg, do you, how do you think we're coming along with women in automotive? Do you think a lot of strides have been made in the past couple of years? I think that, you know, there certainly have been many. 
And if you look back to when we all entered the workforce in this particular industry, you know, things are dramatically different. But I don't think that they're dramatically different enough. And I think that that's the point. Looking back and being grateful for the progress and all the women before us and all the the mentors, the men who who mentored and sponsored women, that's really exciting. But it really needs to get almost put on steroids right now, in my opinion. And it really isn't just about male or female. It's about all inclusion and all inclusion of diversity of thought. And I think that once we look at it like that, more as an industry, then it starts to, you know, feel less you know, uh, unattainable, and it mm. might even unlock some of the things that are, are barriers or blocking us today. Thank you very much. And Ellen, I don't know if I asked you that same question, but I'd love to get your thoughts. Where, where are we? Where do we stand with the eye looking at automotive uh, the past five, ten years? Do you, are you seeing a lot more women in, in the driver's seat? I'll just use that metaphor again. What do, what do you think? Making progress? Not so much? Well, I, you know, I echo what Meg said about diversity of thought, which is mm-hmm. women, men, you know, people of different races and, and other things. Diversity, to me, drives the whole thing in, in general, drives change. But I also think, and I'm standing here in New York City today, the urbanization, everything that's happening in cities, which is obviously affecting mobility and transportation in a huge way, to me just speaks to, like, how fast and how aggressive things are changing in cities, in, in big cities, it, and, and, and why there's such a young gravitational pull towards cities. Because, because certain cities, I'm just going to name one, San Francisco, they're like jumping way out in front, getting on the rocket ship, right? They're, they're moving autonomous in a way that it, I just think opens up doors for a lot of people. And so, and even, I just want to make one more comment on automotive, mm-hmm. which is a little off track, but this autonomous vehicle world, what it does is it creates mobility for people maybe that don't even drive, you know, uh-huh. as a population age. There's yep. just a lot of good, I think, happening right now in general with technology and automotive and, and diversity. And, and I agree with you. I've, I've, we've done shows on the future of cars with game changers, obviously about autonomous vehicles, self-driving. And one of the comments that comes up repeatedly is that these types of vehicles will open up mobility for people who don't aren't old enough, kids who may not need an adult to drive them somewhere if they can get in a properly tuned self-driving car, for elderly who are perhaps beyond their driving years, meaning they don't have the skills required to to uh, drive a car anymore and that this will add mobility and flexibility to that those parts of our population or people who just who never figured out how to drive so i agree with you very very interesting there thank you ladies great opening now it's time for our what's in your cup today segment because you are on a game changer show so i think you know what to expect let me go around the table starting with pamela Neekamp. pamela where are you today what powers you? What's your favorite drink in the whole wide world? And catch us up on what has been happening with you since we spoke a couple of months ago. Go ahead. I am uh, working in my home office, uh, 32 miles northwest of Detroit. Uh, and um, what powers me this morning is my smart water, <laughs> which I uh, am pretty much addicted to and go through by uh, the, the cases. Um, pretty much have um, completely eradicated caffeine uh, or uh, sodas from my diet, so it's pretty much uh, water for me and, and, and the occasional uh, adult beverage after work as well. Um, 
let's see, what's happening with me is, um, first of all, I'm, I'm in a, a, a wrist cast here. I had uh, carpal tunnel surgery last week. So um, oh. that's, uh, well, it was, you know, long, long overdue. And, uh, and, and as far as surgeries go, it's not, not, a, not a major one. But I've certainly been reminded of... Um, just, uh, you know, how much uh, we rely on <laughs> on technology to kind of get things done because it's my uh, my dominant hand here. I've had uh, even trouble just basically, you know, uh, typing, uh, responding to emails and things. And it's, it's been quite frustrating, but I guess quite humbling as well at the same time <laughs> and uh, provided me with a little, little forced downtime that probably was... Uh, was ultimately, you know, what I what I actually needed is, is the kind of way I choose to look at it. So <laughs> I like the way you choose to look at it. You know, it, it's funny, Pamela, you said smart water and just, you know, by habit, I Googled smart water and I found out something absolutely completely different and I know you're not drinking it. Will you give me a second to read this? I think you'll get a kick out of this. Okay. Smart water, all one word with a capital S and a capital W in the middle, is a traceable liquid and forensic asset marking system called a tagant that is applied to items of value to identify thieves and deter theft. I didn't know that. It was started in the 1990s by Phil Cleary, a retired British police detective and his brother Mike, who's a chartered chemist, and they received the Prince of Wales Award for Innovation of the product with the most commercial potential. Did you know that smart water is actually something they use in forensics? I had no idea. I That's shocking to me, no. <laughs> I is that no crazy? <laughs> it's a liquid containing a code whose presence can be seen under ultraviolet light attended, intended to be applied to valuable items if they're stolen and later recovered by police. They can determine the original owner by lab testing the sample. And they can use it in sprinkler systems that spray the burglar with invisible fluid that can't be washed off. I'm sorry. I never <laughs> expected when I looked up. I'm glad you're not drinking that stuff because we, we know where you are. So it's fine. Pamela, thank you. And forgive me for that. But I, I just thought it was too, too good not to be mentioned here. Meg DeVito, as I calm down. Meg, where are you today? What's your power drink that you love? And what's new with you? Thank you. I am in Bedford uh, Hills, New York, in my uh, office, um, and it's pretty quiet, which is awesome because it's summer, so everyone here kind of goes away, so that's kind of nice. Um, what's, what's in my cup usually? Well, not necessarily this morning, but it's summer, so rosé is always my drink of choice um, to unwind at the end of the day. And kind of a funny story, um, National Rosé Day was about a month ago, and my husband was out getting you know, some wine for some guests that were coming over. Over. And I told him it was National Rosé Day, and he should pick up some. He came home with two bottles of white burgundy and a big bouquet of roses, oh. <laughs> <laughs> which just makes me laugh. So, <laughs> and I was like, why would I ask you to get roses? And he's like, well, oh, I didn't see the till date, the excess. Oh, so that that's is... been the biggest joke in our house for the last month. <laughs> oh, that's adorable. And lucky you, you got with the roses beautiful. They were absolutely gorgeous. And I'm like, why would you think I'd ask you for them? But I love them, so that's cool. <laughs> oh, you got a winner there, lady. <laughs> I'll have to try that next time I have somebody interesting in my life. Bring home some rosé, honey. Oh, that's funny. I'm sorry. i got to calm down here. What have you been up to, Meg? 
Um, I've just really, like, you know, Alan's in the middle of New York City. I've been doing quite a bit with mobility as well and urbanization in the city and really in some interesting studies. So, you know, not think for hire, but just really thought-provoking thought leadership work. And I've really enjoyed all the people that I've met. Um, and actually, it was through SAP. Um, and mm-hmm. I just loved the whole idea of what is the city going to be like in 2030, and not just from a mobility, but from all aspects. And I think, you know... The, the, the opportunities that I've had with that has really opened my eyes to look at things a lot different about what is the future and what, are, what do we need to do now to enable ourselves for the future. So I'm just, you know, I'm really enjoying. It's, it's just very exciting time, I think, for everyone. And, and a lot of people are looking at this, and that's making it, you know, be such a hot topic um, and, and really front of mind. Yes, and you you mentioned SAP in New York City, and you were uh, invited to a special event looking at the city of the future of 2030, if my recollection is correct, right? That's, yeah, that's correct. It was, it was amazing just to be with a bunch of people, all Great. from different walks of life, different areas, just talking about what is it going to be like in 2030. And it just allowed us to be very free and, and very kind of out, you know, kind of out there. And I think that when you get out, you have to get out there to really do something breakthrough and new. So it was really, you know, very freeing. And I, I remember I sent you the invitation. My manager, David Yonker at SAP, who's based in Canada, was the one who organized the event. So I'm so glad it was a good experience for you. Very, very happy to hear that. I'll tell him we talked about it on the radio. And now let's go around the table to Ellen Sassone. Ellen, you're at SAP. And Ellen, talk to me. Where are you? What do you love to drink? And what's happening with you? So right now I'm on the Upper East Side, but I'm going to head to Hudson Yards, which is the new SAP office here in the city soon. I am drinking Starbucks Verona, and I just I want to... I, I just want to say one thing about Starbucks because I think it embodies more of what we need. And you and I talked about this on an automotive dealership conversation mm-hmm. we had. But but what's so great about Starbucks, putting aside the coffee, which I love, you can count on it, right? Like whatever city you're in, wherever you're traveling, you know what you're going to get when you walk into a Starbucks to hang out for 15 minutes or whatever you're going to do. And I, I think that that's kind of what automotive dealerships should offer too more of a community setting where you can kind of enjoy yourself for a few hours and or maybe not maybe that's too long but some period of time some people do and check out a cool car is what i think so anyway i'm drinking black starbucks coffee okay and what are you up to what are you doing these days as an automotive industry advisor i know you've had a lot of changes on the team so i, I know where you're planning uh, if you're on the team that's planning the best practices for automotive coming up in detroit in september and i will be doing some remote interviews for that event any thoughts on what's hap- or what's happening with your career well i think what's so exciting um, obviously for sap but everybody in auto and in tech is is all the movement, artificial intelligence, machine learning, like how do we, how do we bring, what does blockchain do for a major auto company and what does AI and ML do with inventory management or um, augmented reality, virtual reality, how do we use these technologies to, to make the experiences and the profitability and everything else better? I, 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 I've you know, been in tech for, I guess, almost 30 years as well. It, it's never been this quick this whole startup, quick to action, quick to test. A lot of it's driven by the cloud, but 
it's pretty amazing right now. And that's all happening within SAP Automotive and our customer set, too. From very small startup electric vehicle companies on the West Coast, you know, to huge major OEMs in the Midwest and Germany. It's an exciting time, this tech world that we're in, that I think everybody's, that everybody's in it now. Every industry, every person. Thank you, Ellen. Very good to get back with the three of you. You know what, ladies? I'm going to skip the break. It's 1130 here in Eastern Time, and you know what I'm drinking. They don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. And Wednesdays are now a doubleheader, as are Tuesdays. I have another show this afternoon on predictive machine learning for game changers. So I'm just drinking my cool, clear cup of water, and I will tell you that this is my first summer. I've been in Durham, North Carolina for 10 months now. Um, I was in Great Neck, Long Island for the past 35 years, and I am getting used to the heat that started really, really early in the season. And the only downside to this heat is that it's very dry and that the garden is not happy. So I am running out with bottles of water to the plants on my screen porch in the back, and I'm sneaking the hose out to water the front garden. We have days where we're allowed to water based on the number on the house. You ever heard of that? They regulate water consumption by if you're in the even or the odd side of the street. But I found a loophole. If you water with a hose, handheld, not a sprinkler system, you can water any day of the week you want. So guess what? I'll let you wo- I'll let you wonder and think about that. So that's what's going on here. I think we're just going to dive right into our roundtable because it's now 11.32. And I don't want to miss the opportunity to get some more wisdom from the three of my very powerful panelists. If you're just tuning in, this is Coffee Break with Game Changers. If you're keeping track, as I am, this is episode number 333. And in case anybody anybody's interested, we are very grateful to our global listening audience. All of our Game Changer shows in the month of June 2018 had almost 100,000 listeners in aggregate. So we're very grateful to all of you out there around the world who find these conversations of value. And that's all we bring you is conversations about business topics with interesting people. So I'm very grateful to Pamela Niekamp, Meg DeVito, and Ellen Sassone for coming back to join me talking about our very special topic, Women Take the Wheel, Transforming the Automotive Ecosystem Part 2. So Pamela, I'm looking at your notes from last time, and we covered some of them and not all of them. Let's take a deep dive into something we may not have covered specifically. Uh, It might be a dirty word. Don't worry, it's not one of uh, George Carlin's seven. But the automotive industry, you say, is one of the original and longest-lived old boys networks. The industry is ripe for changes, obviously. So where does that status bring us today, the idea of an old, old boy network? Where does that bring us? Well, yeah, this is such a, a loaded topic, right? I, mean, I know. Um, the whole, you know, meet hashtag me too and, and time's up movement. And, um, you know, when I first uh, started hearing about those movements, um, and, and at the time they were primarily focused in the entertainment industry, I mean, my very first thought was, well, that, you know, having been a woman in the automotive industry, um, you know, over 30 years ago, I mean, that was just, that was just, a way of life that um, we had to deal with those kinds of situations. Um, and I really, you know, I'm kind of ashamed to say that I didn't really think anything of it. I didn't, I just thought that's the way it was. Um, and, you know, we have come a long way uh, for certain. I, I, I honestly can say that the experiences that I had um, in situations um, early on in my career tended to be where I was uncomfortable or where I had some, you know, um, experiences that, you know, others have talked about 
uh, related to Time's Up and, and Hashtag Me Too uh, mm-hmm. were primarily um, as a result of my work with dealerships at the time. Uh, early on in my career, I was assigned to uh, call on a, a, a group of dealerships and work with their, um, their parts and service departments to improve their customer service and improve um, their, their, uh, the, the, the process by which they um, handle warranty repairs for customers. Etc. And you know, dealerships were <laughs> were a whole other world entirely uh, versus the automotive OEMs. I, I've got to say that for the most part, I did not have uh, any negative experiences. You know, with a few exceptions over the years, um, internal to the OEM companies. But uh, a lot of that has changed for certain. Um, and but you know, I, I was disheartened to read a, a survey um, that the Automotive News uh, did a couple of years ago. Um, where they um, indicated that the percentage of women uh, in so, several different industries, uh, automotive, Silicon Valley, advertising, et cetera, um, who had experienced, experienced, you know, for example, unwanted sexual advances or be assigned, being assigned lower-level tasks than male colleagues or even, you know, feeling unsafe on the job, all of those, um, there were higher incidences of those uh, negative situations being experienced by women in automotive industries, the automotive industry versus any of these other industries. So, unfortunately, it still is is out there, and I I think it's something that the industry really needs to address um, at all levels if it wants to attract and retain the best and brightest. Thank you very much. I didn't want to be a downer, but I think we needed to address that, and it is a very timely topic. Let's move around the table. Meg, thoughts on what Pamela just talked about, please. Yeah, I think it is, it's a heady topic. It's, a, it's very, you know, to the point and it's very now. Um, I think all of us have our own stories of, of what, you know, our views as we started to grow up into the industry. But I think that all of us had resilience. And we had mm-hmm. resilience to be able to continue to take your moral compass, whatever that is, and just keep moving yourself and the ball forward. And I would say that, you know, we need to organize that resilience Right, instead of it being from within through a very, you know, a group of people that, you know, were determined to make it because they loved the industry so much, to almost like a group resilience to actually make a specific movement out of it um, for there to be strength in numbers and really address, you know, talking I think is, you know, is better than not talking about it. That lets us put a flashlight on the real issues than the ones that we make up in our head that are always worse than the ones in reality. And I think with that kind of group, you know, grouping and, and getting people together over particular topics and putting solutions in place to solve would be a very proactive uh, step forward for the industry at large. Thank you very much. Ellen Sassone, moving around the table to you. Thoughts, please? All right, so this is going to be a little radical, but I was just thinking about it because I, I look at Uber, which to me is new automotive, you know, grew up, what, in the last 10 years, not like the traditional autos of the Midwest, but, and they suffer. Like the New York Times had a huge article, I believe, on Sunday about Uber and how many women have left, senior women have mm-hmm. left. They're like a new company. They're new high tech. My feeling, and this is my radical comment. We need to have women in charge of these, some of these companies because I don't I don't think it's systemic to to this industry. I think it's mm-hmm. I think it's men need to be reined in a little bit, maybe more. Which is that's my radical comment. 
Well, I don't know if it's that radical, but let, let me pose a comment to the panel. Do you think that this was seen as a bastion of malehood, male dumb coming up through the ranks of, of boys being going into shop class or automotive class? Uh, we on Long Island, uh, some of you may know, Ellen, you may we have BOCES, uh, a, a trade school type of a thing where people who don't go to college could go to BOCES and learn a trade, all kinds of trades. Do you think that it was seen as a bastion where girls shouldn't be looking under the hoods of cars, quote unquote? And that men were men are trying to protect that place for this is where the the guys go and not where the girls go. Do you think there's some of that? Uh, this is ours. Don't mess with it. What do you What do you think? And that's probably a radical thought for me to say on the radio, Pamela. What do you think about that? Let's quickly go around the table. I just think that uh, very few women, young women, you know, bright the best and brightest who are coming out of school uh, either 30 years ago or today think of automotive, the automotive industry as an attractive place to go to work for many reasons. One, because of the, all the things you just stated, and two, because that I think it is viewed as, uh, unfortunately, you know, in some cases older and stodgy and slow to um, embrace, you know, <laughs> uh, new technologies, new ways of doing business, and and also because it ha- is and has been you know, so heavily male-dominated uh, for for so many years. In fact, you know, two of the Japanese OEMs still have uh, almost no uh, women in senior leadership roles, e- executive or director uh, level roles. I mean, that's, that's shocking to me that that's still the case today Interesting. In Interesting. Meg, love to get your thoughts on this, and, and this goes into one of the new topics you sent me that you want to talk about. But let's just talk about, is this a bastion that they're trying to defend and protect, Meg? I think that I do feel that way. I I do feel like when I had started in the 80s, it was very much that way. But I also feel it wasn't everyone because I was really grappling with what to do. I was excelled in in science and math. I hated medical like my whole family did. And my neighbor was the chief engineer of an engine line at GM, and he was near retirement. And he came over to talk to me about, you know, GMI, which he was a, you know, a a school that he was an alumni, which, you know, Marbera's too, and talked to me about, you know, would you think about doing something like this? And I really, it took me a long time, and then he invited me over to look under the hood of his Model T and showed me what the parts were you know, I was interested. I was, I was genuinely interested. And I think it, why I bring this story in is that, you know, he was a sponsor. He thought I had, had talent. He thought if he encouraged and exposed me, it might make a difference. And I really, like, thank him lots of times throughout my career that without having that spark, I would have probably done the same, you know, not really adventured into the industry. But I found that I had good talent and I loved it. So I think, you know, while it grew up that way, there were, mm-hmm. there were people that were trying to make a difference even then. And that's what I think we have to do is really encourage the men in the industry to be that spark. Very well put. And Ellen Sasson, let's get your thoughts on this, please. I agree with, with both um, what Pamela and Meg have said. I go back to this idea of systems, though, which to me is mm-hmm. culture, right? Good cultures foster diversity, and, and they have leaders that want it and recognize. I mean, I don't think, like, you bring up the trades and the mechanics. and I think there's lots of women interested in science and math and, you know, mechanical, the tough stuff. I, I just, one sidebar, I, I was remembering horrible stories about the airline industry and baggage handlers and how women were treated with the movement of luggage on and off. And I look down a lot on when I get off the plane and you see women, you know, strong women moving luggage and stuff. Like, I, I just, I don't think the 
the work itself matters. I think what matters is the culture and, and attracting the right people, regardless of the, the work content, if that makes sense. It, it makes a lot of sense. And while the three of you are speaking, I'm, I'm thinking that uh, I have a radio show on Monday nights called Read My Lips on a different channel, and I interview mostly self-published new authors. And I go to the National Publicity Summit in New York twice a year to meet these authors. They actually line up to meet the media, and I book 40 or 50 guests in three hours, and I fill six months of radio slots. One of the women I met this time in a couple of months ago when I was in New York is named Audra Forden, and she is the fourth-generation owner of, uh, Ellen, you might appreciate this, Great Bear Auto Repair in Flushing. And it's a family business, and she is writing a blog called Women Auto, A-U-T-O, Women Auto Know, about drivers master your auto, be the master of your own automotive world she's a mom of four married lady and she she writes things like proud to be a tire dealer in tire review magazine and I'm interviewing her in a couple of weeks and I can't wait that's very interesting I've also personally known a, um, a, a gas station slash repair shop female owner in New Jersey who was a friend of our families for many years and that was certainly a very bold move on this woman's part, a very, very bold move, being in charge of, of uh, mechanics, all-male mechanics, and running the gas station. You can imagine what life was probably like like that. So let's move on, and I want to talk a little bit more about the status of women in the boardroom, particularly focusing on the automotive C-suite. Meg, you sent me some interesting statistics. You say GM elected its sixth woman to their board of directors in June 2016, making history by splitting its 12-member board evenly between men and women. It's a bigger milestone for automotive at large because this industry ranks on the bottom of five industries when it comes to representation of women on boards, averaging only 11%. Want to give us a little more background on this, Meg? Yes, I read. It's a Time article where I picked this information up. Um, I, it, you know, it was just struck me. Um, you know, we think about C- we think about the ranks of automotive, and then we think about the progression, which is the ultimate C-suite. And we don't think about boards, maybe, necessarily, because that might not be our place either. But when you start to really think about this topic as that progression, boards are really where we can get the best diversity of thought to really impact the strategic imperatives and the culture, like Alan stated before, of the companies itself. And I think that that's a frontier that needs more exploration, more courage uh, or courageous women to go into it, maybe even more men to go into it that want to strike, you know, what is the the next phase of our companies, the culture, as Ellen said, and also of the technology and the strategies and how everyone's going to participate in an old industry in a new way, in an autonomous way. You know, there's so much disruption. We've talked about it on this call. And I think in able to handle all that disruption, the best thinking needs to be put over the problem. And that would stretch into the boardroom itself. And so I feel like, you know, while we don't talk about it, and it struck me, none of us talked about it before. And, you know, it's like, you know, why? Maybe because we're not thinking big enough. Or maybe because we, it's another frontier that needs breaking through. Um, but when you start to look at it, you know, there's 24 companies on the Fortune 500, and that's as of 2016, that didn't even have a single female board member. Not even a single one. That's 2016. It's not 1996 or 2006. 
that seems like when I started to dig into this topic, it just seemed like it, it, it was almost unrealistic. It was almost like it was a back to the future where we went back in time. And that's where I feel like it needs to be added to the conversation so that we look at it as an encompassing, you know, how a corporation works from the top of the board to the C-suite all the way down to the engineer that's making a difference on the products. Very well put. I hear a lot of passion in your voice, Meg. Ellen, let's get you to chime in on this. Thoughts on what Meg just shared from the Time article? Well, well I, I'm actually very surprised in what Meg said about, you know, it hasn't changed much, the composition of boards. I, I started thinking, especially maybe because I'm so focused on autonomous vehicles, there's a whole city government, not just city, but government in general, role in all this. And, and what excites me right now, and I know we're not, talking on the, this isn't corporate boardroom, but government, there's lots of young women running for office and using kind of their interesting stories of motherhood and other things, it, it just being who they are. And I would love to see this November, like a lot of young women get elected, right? Because that's going to start changing things too. And maybe some of those political people end up on board by virtue of that. So I, I'm a little off topic here, but but I see more change maybe in the the government space that'll ultimately drive back to corporate life, hopefully. But I don't think it's you're off topic, Ellen, because it's about the society, right? It's yes, society as correct. a whole, and that's where it starts. Yes. Yeah. And you know what? It, if, we, if we see it in, in politics, if we see it in public life, quote unquote, that will trickle down into the minds of teachers of high schools, of school girls, quote-unquote, girls, if I could say that word, and uh, and it will open up a mindset that this is a possibility. Of, of course, of course, it will make a difference in, uh, from the culture. Let's go around the table and get Pamela in on this. Pamela, any thoughts? Oh, yeah, this is a, <laughs> another topic about which I'm passionate uh, as well. Um, and I think, um, you know, I've, I've done a lot of reading uh, personally on this subject. In fact, in 20, there was a book uh, published called The Board Game, How Smart Women Become Corporate Directors and back in 2013. Betsy Berkmeyer Crader uh, is the author. And what I was fascinated to learn in reading that book is that um, elsewhere in the world, outside of the United States, there are a lot of um, countries that have um, kind of gotten the message and have uh, mandated uh, for the corporations that are incorporated in those countries uh, a, a certain percentage of the females on boards. And, of course, that's a controversial topic, right, because um, if you force it, are you, you know, to get meeting a certain number, are you getting the best people for the boards? Uh, but nonetheless, that's the way a lot of um, companies outside of the U.S. have done it uh, and w- with great success. I think the problem... Uh, we have here is, first of all, we don't have those mandates in place, but also uh, some companies like, like GM, as Meg pointed out, ha- have embraced the concept and have really pushed uh, the ball forward. Uh, but still far too often, as far as, as board positions go, especially on, you know, Fortune 500 company board positions, um, it's very much who you know and, you know, kind of a crony network of um, selecting people that are much like <laughs> the existing board members, um, which often then leaves women and especially younger women out in the cold. Yep. Out in the cold is not where we want to be. We want to be in a, a nice warm car. Forgive me. I'm sorry. It gets cold <laughs> down here, too. We're just about at our predictions round, but not quite. I think we can squeeze in one more topic. I'm just going to open it up. Let's just make it a true roundtable. Who has something on their mind? I'm, I'm looking here at um, 
Meg's notes, I just see something that pops out at me. You say, from my playbook, just do it. And I introduced the show as we were going to share the playbook of the three of you. So maybe we'll just do a, a quick, what's your playbook for becoming a more valued member of your industry of choice? And we are sp- focusing on automotive today. So uh, I'm going to take that statement and let's go back around the front of the panel to Pamela. My playbook, your playbook, just do it. Let's do a round table, a lightning round. Of what's your playbook for women finding their way into boards, especially in automotive, and getting more of a presence in something that they really might enjoy. Well, I might take a different angle on this than you had anticipated but I or that mm-hmm. you were looking for, but I, I guess as far as when I'm thinking about uh, my playbook personally, where, where I have come to land is that at this point in my life, uh, rather than thinking about what are my next steps based on, you know, how I can get to the next rung or, um, you know, be, become more successful or make more money or have a more powerful position, it's how can, I, how can I serve and how can I use what I've learned in this, you know, over the span of these many years to um, help others and especially other young women to succeed, um, whether it be in this industry or others. I don't have the answers, all of the answers uh, to that yet, um, but it's something that I'm, I'm digging into um, for myself for, you know, kind of my next um, phase. And, and one thing that popped for me as far as that goes is, is teaching. That's something I'm seriously considering. Um, I always say that I wish that when I was in going in uh, university that there was a course about, um, you know, not, uh, how to succeed in business, <laughs> but all the things that, that, that they don't teach you, um, you know, the kind of the unspoken, unwritten rules, uh, the things you should do, the things you should avoid doing. Um, not just the nuts and bolts of um, accounting and finance, for example, but um, you know, kind of how to how to succeed in a in a uh, political environment. Um, I think I would have benefited from a course like that, and I think other others would as well. Thank you very much. Let's go around to Meg Devito now. Um, for me, I never said no. So when I came through the ranks, I never said no. I always took an assignment without fail, and some of my male counterparts shied away from it or, you know, created something else that they could do because they were worried if it was too difficult or too hard, and I never did that because I felt like that was where the true opportunity was. I knew I was more resilient, and I had more determination, so Mm -hmm. I would get through it. I might not get through it perfectly, but I'd learn a lot, and that would be more invaluable to me on the next assignment and would also show that I was a learning individual um, to be put into those situations where I could adapt and, you know, figure, figure out what the best way forward was. And so I think that, I, I didn't even know the quote, but I guess I got on a rocket ship every time. <laughs> and I, I guess, like, from that perspective, it was just one adventure after another. Some were more grueling than others. But in the end, I always learned something, and I could take it adaptable to the next, you know, the next one. And I think that as I started going into managerial ranks, I made sure that I put people around me that were smarter than I was, that knew more, and that worked mm-hmm. just as hard, though. And I thought that that was always a winning combination. The work ethic always seemed to make things even work you know, faster and better. Thank you very much. Great insights. And let's wrap this up with Ellen Sassone. Ellen, playbook, what do you do? Um, so this might be off topic, but I, I'm excited about the city of San Francisco for a couple reasons. A, because they are, at least verbally, we'll see what they do by 2020, 
plowing ahead with autonomous vehicles for taxis. They've got mm-hmm. a black woman mayor that was just elected. I, I, I mean, they're doing kind of everything we're talking about, which is diversity and leadership and women and technology. I, I, I'd like to see where San Francisco is at like the end of 2020 and talk about that city. So, Interesting. Very interesting. We still have, I have two and a half minutes left. How about a two-sentence prediction from each of you? Really, really fast. A lightning, lightning, lightning round. Pamela Niekamp, Women in Automotive, uh, 2025. 2025, predict for me. I predict the auto industry will thrive, will survive, will learn these lessons, will evolve. Um, after all, they have done so for all these, you know, <laughs> um, hundred years essentially, and um, they've still managed to be, you know, one of the biggest, strongest, uh, most dominant industries in in our country. And I think that they'll figure it out and uh, and be stronger for having gone through, you know, kind of some of these tough transitionary times. Thank you, Meg Devito. Forty seconds. You're up. My aspiration is that the topic is no longer relevant, that we actually ah. have diversity of thought and that this terminology is totally new terminology and we're on to more exciting topics like Ellen keeps bringing up <laughs> than talking about <laughs> something like this, although this does need a lot of attention, so I'm not downplaying it, but it would I be understand. as a society if we could say we eradicated this topic and that you know it was something of the past to learn from and not do again, I think we'd be so much better off as a society. Thank you. Very well put. Ellen, Sasson, you get the last word. I got 40 seconds with your name on them. Go. I believe this is an industry that attracts women for sure because of mobility, because of all the things we talk about, moving people in ways that they couldn't move before. I, I, I still believe that this automotive industry attracts great talent of all diverse nature of people, women included. Thank you very much. I think there's hope. There's hope and heart and a lot of good things. Thank you to the three of you. It's been enlightening. We started out with big smiles and a lot of fun, and then we dove right right into a really deep topic, and I'm glad we did. It needed to be discussed. Pamela Niekamp at Nielsen, thank you so much for coming back. Meg DeVito at DeVito Design Group, always lovely. Love the energy as well. Ellen Sassone at SAP. And a shout-out to the automotive team who brought us this topic in the first place. I'm going to shout-out to Uli Munch and to Miranda Labate, who are handling the Future of Cars with Game Changers series now. And I just want to say thank you to Aaron and the Business Channel team. It's just about time for us to say goodbye. And I'm not going to sing. But trust me, I won't, I won't sing. But it's just tempting, you know, do the old Perry Como song. I don't know, Dinosaur. Somebody did something about thank you. Okay, let's just say here's, the, here's my call to action, and it's so appropriate on this topic. Fascinating your seatbelt. I want a designer seatbelt, ladies. I don't know who's going to make one for me for my new sports car. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today and drive change. Sorry for the metaphor. Just like Pamela Niekamp, just like Meg DeVito, and just like Ellen Sesson. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. I'll be back at 2 p.m. Eastern right here on the Business Channel with a new edition of Game Changing Predictive Machine Learning. You don't want to miss it. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.